This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is political theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Every 10 years, the United States Census provides states with new information about population and demographic trends that results in the reapportionment of Congress's 435 seats in the House. Some states lose seats, some gain. It always factors into control of Congress. And those states take sometimes wildly different approaches to resetting their maps. The stakes are high. Michael McInerney covers the census, demographics, redistricting, and more for CQ Roll Call, and he's here in political theater to discuss where we are in the redistricting process, what's been settled, what hasn't, and where we are heading into the 2022 congressional midterm election. Mike, welcome to political theater. Hi, Jason. Thank you for having me. This is great. I mean, I... Um, this is one of those issues that I seriously geek out on. I love talking <laughs> about um, redistricting. I, I find it fascinating. It, it always there's always some weird side story uh, to this to the census and to the redistricting process. Uh, it has long term effects, you know, for control of Congress. Uh, but let's let's talk about. Uh, you know the the real like the 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 side story for this census became the big story uh, right right as you started covering it, which was the pandemic. Uh, let let's uh, let's see how let's let's talk about how the the pandemic, uh, which started in twenty twenty, uh, really like threw everything off for the census. Uh, yeah, it really did. Uh, in the beginning of March twenty twenty was when the Census Bureau really wanted to start kicking things off. They were sending out the questionnaires, which were a big issue. Uh, they were sending people out to like drop off forms in rural places where they don't really have mail service. All of that, and then the pandemic hit and everything locked down, and that meant that they had to scramble this plan that they had spent the entire decade working on at the last minute, um, and then you know, spend the next couple of months trying to figure out the best way to count everybody. And that also meant just sort of delaying everything for several months. Um, and then they got into the middle of hurricane season and wildfire season and all of this stuff around the country that just meant it was more difficult than anybody had counted on and more difficult than they really had time for. Um, so that meant that instead of finishing up in the summer in like July, August, they were finishing up in October, uh, which bumped everything back. Um, and it meant that instead of getting apportionment results in December, January, we were getting it in April. We didn't get the redistricting data until after that. And it just put everybody's calendar back and then it turned redistricting into this whole scrum of last minute map drawing, last minute litigation, everybody trying to do things quickly. And we're where we are right now, where, you know, the first primaries have happened, the first, the next couple of primaries are coming up and a whole lot of states don't even have maps yet. Yeah. And, and, you know, just on a, you know, on a personal sort of political career level, if you're a member of Congress 
and you know, sort of all things considered, you're you're just like trying to plan for whether you're going to run again, retire, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, you may not even know if like you know if if you're in a state like New York, say, or Illinois uh, or California, which lost seats. Um, or West Virginia, I mean, th- th- you you may not even know until the last minute, uh, you know, whether or not the, the there will be the same number of seats. And then on the other side of the equation, you got states like you know Texas, which gained seats, and and you know, like you've got this sort of young, ambitious, you know, kind of cadre of, of political professionals who are waiting to see, you know, if they can jump in. Everybody's decision making was put off at the personal level as well as the broader, you know, sort of state apparatus level. It's, it was really kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, there there were a whole lot of states. I, I mean, for instance, Rhode Island has been on the cusp of losing its second congressional seat for a long time. And they didn't know till you know, the end of April, whether or not there was going to be two seats in the state. And, and you know, we, we, we're in this weird situation, too, where we didn't know whether New York or Minnesota was going to lose a seat. And it came down mm-hmm. to what, what was it like 80 vote, 80 people or something like that. Yeah, yeah, something 87 people, which is <laughs> wild because uh, historically the, the margin has been, you know, thousands or tens of thousands, 87 people this time around. Yeah. And, and again, you know, some of this, some of the census, some of the reapportionment was thrown off, as you said, like, you know, the census was late. Um, you know, we, our, our mortality rates, you know, were, were affected obviously by the pandemic. People were, you know, dying, uh, in, in ways that they hadn't, we hadn't seen that sort of like that sort of mortality. Uh, and that that's affecting the count. It just, Mm -hmm. it threw everything off. Uh, and, and, and again, redistricting is always this crazy situation where states are trying to maximize their advantages, particularly in Congress. This means money for them. This means, you know, a lot. And and to start it off all late, um, going into a midterm election where control for uh, both houses of Congress is in is at stake. I mean, it doesn't matter with the Senate. You know, the Senate will still have the same number of senators, but the House, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just this frenzy. So I think maybe we start with like the biggest four states. I mean, no, no offense to uh, the Rhode Islands and the, <laughs> and, and the West Virginias uh, where, you know, Rhode Island, as you said, they sort of held serve. They're going to keep their second seat. West Virginia lost one of theirs. They're going to go from three to two. But Let's talk about the four, you know, sort of big states, California, Texas, New York, Illinois, and Florida. Let's talk about those five, because that that makes up such a big bulk of things. And, you know, we have wildly divergent uh, results uh, with with redistricting going on in in those five megastates. Yeah. And the thing that kind of stands out a little bit uh, about those five is California kind of they're in redistricting, there's always going to be, okay, this person's district got a little bit more this or that. But California is not only the largest state in the country, but it's the largest state in the country with a commission. An independent commission where yeah, an they independent really commission. Yeah, not dominated by Democrats or Republicans where it's sort yeah. of, yeah. Yeah. And California lost a seat and in the 50 some seats, it's, it's, not necessarily easy to say cleanly what one party got over another, but it looks like maybe they're going to lose a Democratic seat. But Florida is its own kettle of fish that is a whole separate discussion. But Texas, Illinois, and New York all have partisan control of redistricting, and they really try to maximize that right. with this redistricting. And I think the main thing that happened between all of those is the decline of the competitive seat. You know, in New York, they consolidated a lot of the upstate districts to be 
very heavily Republican leaning, but also minimized the number of Republican seats overall. Texas, they added a couple of seats and then they took like all of the suburban seats in Dallas, Fort Worth area, things like that. And they made them either very strongly Democratic or very strongly Republican. And then Illinois sort of carved up Cook County area and downstate um, to, you know, pit a couple of Republicans against each other and make as many. There was some back and forth about whether or not they maximized themselves or drew what people call a dummy mander that they're going to get wiped out when there's a, a swing election <laughs> in a couple of the competitive seats sort of around Chicago land. But yeah, generally the partisans in power in Illinois, New York, and, and Texas really tried to maximize their ability to gain seats or at least hold on to the ones they have for the rest of the decade. And before we talk about Florida, I mean, one of the things that is sort of stuck out to a lot of people who cover redistricting and particularly people who cover it in the context of campaigns is that, you know, Democrats really did not have a very good cycle uh, in, in 2010. You know, they, there was a wave election aided by redistricting that was heavily, heavily favored towards Republicans. Republicans got a lot of state houses in 2010 uh, and, and were able to control the process. And they, those translated into to pretty big gains that they were able to lock in for for a few years in Congress. And this time, it seemed like the Democrats were ready for this and and just sort of unapologetic about wielding the, the power toward that they had in, in particularly in Illinois and in New York. So, but even with all of that, it, it seems like we're almost at kind of like a wash. You know, our uh, Dave Washerman at the at the Cook uh, Political Report is you know been covering this stuff for a long, long time, and he says that you know this probably is a, a slightly uh, advantages the Democrats at this point, maybe a one to two seat gain. Uh, but that's a lot different than like uh, disadvantaging them by like 10 or 20 seats as it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a combination of a number of things from the people I've talked to. One is, you know, the idea of the big sort of, you know, people are living more in areas with other people that they agree with politically. Um, and then another part of it is election data is getting really good. Uh, and People are getting really good at parsing the numbers and figuring out exactly, you know, what precinct to put where to get the electoral result that they want. Um, and part of that is because people are voting one party more consistently. And it's it's really been something to watch that almost every state that comes out with a new map, when it's not drawn by a commission, there's basically no competitive seats or toss ups. They are drawing it to be D plus 10, R plus 10, you know, more so than, than last cycle. Um, and it's been interesting to watch from the outside. It's been frustrating, I think, for the people who are in the minority in each of those states to watch a, a map come out that might be, you know, it's a 55-45 state or a 52-48 state. And the map is, you know, 10-6 or something like that. But yeah, it, people are getting really good at drawing these maps that are really robust at holding a partisan advantage for the whole decade. Let's talk about Florida now. <laughs> how, how many political discussions come with that caveat? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, this is a, the, the, the whole 52-48, you know, sort of thing. I mean, Florida has typically is, is a Republican-leaning state, but not by much, right? I mean, like mm -hmm. Republicans seem to have an advantage year in, year out, particularly at the statewide level. Um, and they gained a seat. Uh, because of population growth, uh, a lot of people are moving to to Florida still. Uh, not not just retirees, but people from other states who are you know like 
don't like the idea of state income tax and so forth. Um, and, um, and also the, you know, the weather is nice. I was there this weekend for a, a wedding and it, it is quite spectacular. Uh, as we sit here in Washington waiting like a tornado with gray skies. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so they gained a seat and then, you know, and it's a Republican legislature and a Republican governor Ron DeSantis. And so the, the, Basically, the Republicans kind of call the shots, and yet they still don't have a map. Let's talk about what's going on there in Florida. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Florida man Ron DeSantis took the (laughs) unusual step of vetoing his own party's congressional map. And there's there's a couple of issues that have gone back and forth with this, but the big sticking point is Rep. uh, Al Lawson's seat in, in the Tallahassee area. Ron DeSantis argues that it's unconstitutional under the Voting Rights Act. But it was actually approved by Florida State Supreme Court a couple of years back um, to give a black majority district in the northern part of the state. And DeSantis has been for months advocating to basically carve that district up into what would be, you know, parts of a couple of safe Republican seats. Republicans have not been willing to go as far on that uh, as as DeSantis has been arguing for. They, they passed, uh, what was that, package of two maps, one that was a little bit further on the 5th District than they were initially willing to go, but apparently it wasn't far enough for DeSantis. He's vetoed the map, and they're going to be coming back next month to try and draw a, another map that would pass muster. And it's going to be interesting to watch because now Florida's, you know, the, the big unanswered question in redistricting is how is Florida going to come down? Because it's not just Al Lawson's district that's a big deal here. Um, Stephanie Murphy, who's retiring, and Val Demings, uh, who is taking on Marco Rubio in the Senate, their districts could also change substantially. Um, all, all, the, all Democrats, we should know. Lawson's, Ryan yeah, Murphy, yeah. and Val um, Demings. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. I, I, I dive into this. and, and uh, <laughs> But but those two seats, partially because of the massive uh, amount of population growth in the Orlando area, could change substantially. And depending on how it gets drawn... They could be competitive seats, Democratic leaning seats, or they could get carved up into you know some of the more Republican areas outside of Orlando and be either safe Republican seats or like leaning Republican seats, depending on how the lines actually get drawn. So there's a lot of seats that are sort of still up in the air. And maybe the next step we'll, we'll see, depending on how things go in Florida, is – uh, a time-honored tradition in redistricting cases, which is a lawsuit uh, where somebody challenges <laughs> the, a, a map that, that's come out, and we're already seeing—we've already seen this a, a few times come come around. Let's talk about some of the more prominent states that are whose maps are still subject to litigation. Well, funny you mentioned that. Uh, Maryland <laughs> actually, in the last couple of days, uh, has has sort of rocketed into a very high gear in redistricting. On Friday, a state court ruled that the initial map that was drawn or the the state control is split uh republican governor democratic held legislature they actually overrode his veto to put in a 7-1 map that actually made the one seat andy harris's seat on the eastern shore of maryland actually a toss-up seat rather than republican leaning seat and the judge said no go that's 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 too much uh and in the last couple of days, the legislature has come back and drawn a new map that they've sent to the governor. Uh, and between the recording and the actual publication of this podcast, there might be more developments in this case, because the AG there in Maryland has filed an appeal, and there's going to be a hearing on Friday about this new map. And 
again, we don't know. It's still up in the air what's going to happen in Maryland. And then there's still uh, outstanding litigation in a bunch of states, most of which is either state litigation over you know, the partisan balance of the map. There's still an active case in New Mexico that's kind of stalled over that. But there's big Voting Rights Act cases at the federal level in Texas, in Alabama, in a couple of other states alleging that either they didn't draw enough new districts that were minority majority or minority opportunity districts or the districts that they drew diluted the power of minority voters in a lot of congressional races. And what we've seen at the Supreme Court level is that in general, not across the board necessarily, but in general, the justices have been loath as a body. Some of the justices feel differently than others, but like, you know, you, you need five votes uh, at the Supreme Court that they have basically let the states kind of do their own thing uh, when, when it comes to drawing maps. So we saw this with like Alabama, you know, like that the, their a state court had, you know, said like, hey, you've diluted minority voting too much. And mm-hmm. the, the state appealed to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said like, yeah, I think the state got it right this time. You know, we'll, we're just going to let that, uh, you know, happen. So it, it seems like the the Supreme Court is kind of a little, little more hands off uh, on these things when by the time it gets there. So if you're going there, you can kind of lean towards what the legislature or the commission is is going to do. Yeah, yeah, I, and and this is a really big inside baseball issue for uh, a lot of people who watch the Supreme Court. That the, a lot of this is happening in, in on what's called the shadow docket, or you know, cases that aren't actually like set up for argument. Um, at the Supreme Court. And at least right now, the Supreme Court has taken kind of a different tack than they did in years past. Um, last redistricting cycle, they were willing to, you know, let courts order elections be delayed while litigation played out. Um, not so much here. The big ruling this year was in Alabama. Uh, you mentioned that appeal. Justices came down and said, no, there's not enough time. Uh, the, you know, this is February. They got to have a primary in May. Not enough time to draw and implement a new map. Um, so what that means is a lot of federal litigation is no matter when you filed or when you're in court, it means pretty much that the state's map, whatever it is, is in place for 2022. Um, there are a couple of spots where people who watch the court have said, okay, this could be a big deal. Um, one of which was actually the Wisconsin state legislature case. Uh, the Supreme court stepped in at the same time that they approved the congressional map, the Supreme Court stepped in and said, no, you did this wrong on a Voting Rights Act case. And they said, you stepped over the line in drawing a new black majority district. You got to draw it again, uh, draw the whole state map again, um, <laughs> which people said was substantial because they they didn't argue that case. They, they didn't you know get up and have attorneys argue either side. They just went you on an emergency basis and said, no, you got to draw it again. Um, And then the other thing that people have pointed to is um, there were a couple of cases, uh, North Carolina being one, where, you know, there was a state court ruling that partisan redistricting violated the state constitution. And it seems like there might be four votes to take that up in full when it's not on an emergency basis, uh, because when the Supreme Court upheld, you know, for this election, the North Carolina uh, congressional lines, there were three justices who dissented and said that they would have uh, granted the stay. And then a fourth, Justice Kavanaugh said 
he sided with the uh, majority for keeping it in place for the fall, but said, well, we might want to take this issue up later down the road. And it only takes four justices to take up a case. So yeah, we might have another partisan gerrymandering case at the Supreme Court in uh, a couple of months or, or next year. Yeah, I, I mean, the, this is the thing that sort of fascinates me about this is that, you know, the redistricting, so much of it is about that, you know, what takes place uh, between, you know, the, the the zero year and the two year, you know, in, in these in these terms of 2010 to 2012 or 2020 to 2022. But in a, in a few of uh, instances here, we may get a map in 2022 that will be different than a map <laughs> in 2024. This happened in Pennsylvania late in the, in the last decade. They, the, the state Supreme court redrew uh, the, the congressional map in 2018 that helped Democrats uh, in, in when they retook the house in, in 2018. Uh, and then sometimes States just decided to re redistrict uh, like <laughs> Texas did in 2004 uh, where, where they decided, like, I remember this taking place, Tom DeLay, who was the uh, the House Majority Leader at the time in, in the United States House, and he was from Texas, and he he really was on a quest to get rid of what we, a lot of us referred to as the the WD forties, white Democrats over forty, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and they did they they basically like re redistricted the state uh, mid cycle and kind of disadvantaged all these uh, members these these white Democrats who were over forty like Max Sandlin and Charlie Stenholm, and they were. They were gone, and so it, we, you may you may have to dip your toe back into redistricting even even after the twenty twenty two elections, Mike. Uh, so, uh, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's 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 almost guaranteed to continue all decade at this point. Um, we pretty much know that North Carolina is probably going to try and redistrict again after twenty twenty two elections, just because the way the state law works, that the the court mandated map is only in place for this election. And then a lot of the Voting Rights Act cases, they did not pursue an emergency order. They didn't pursue you know, a preliminary injunction to order a new map for 2022. They have pursued full-on trials to try and build a record, partially because of the way the Supreme Court has ruled in these VRA cases. They're not, not afraid, but very cautious about when they go up to the Supreme Court, they want to have a very good record of the case so that they can make their best argument possible for the districts that they want. And they don't want to go up kind of half cocked and get, you know, five or six conservative justices to kind of smack them down. And then also having a precedent they they would have to live with. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you covering uh, what is amounts to a moving target for a few years, <laughs> starting with the census in the middle of a pandemic uh, yeah. and, and, and its effects here. So, And I look forward to finding out what happens in Maryland, in, in, in nearby Maryland, because it's, as you said, it's just the, you know, we're in the middle of it. But I really, I, I appreciate you covering this and, and walking us through it because it, to me, you, know, you talk about baseball, inside baseball, it's baseball season. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I love this stuff and I, I appreciate you uh, talking about it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. <laughs>